But uh, we have walked over the course of a few months through the rich um, gospel explanation and, and holding up of Jesus that Paul has given us in this letter. And so this morning we pray God's help as we as we land the plane, as we finish the book. If, if, uh, if you're not familiar, on page 10 and 11 of the worship guide, there is the text written out on page 10, but then there's an outline on page 11 for you to be able to follow along as we spend a few minutes with this passage this morning. We're going to look again at verses 7 through 18. You, you've got that outline there. I think it will be helpful. It's a little longer of an outline than usual, but it's not longer of a sermon. I'll go ahead and make that promise now. Uh, but it, they're, they're, we're going to move as we get to that second section. We're going to move relatively quickly. So I want you to keep up as we do. Let's pause and pray for a moment. Uh, Father, we are humbling ourselves before you and before your word as people who know that we need to hear what you've revealed about yourself and what you require of us. And so, Lord, would you drive the realities of the gospel home to us and the provisions of uh, your gifts around the gospel in, in the church and in gospel partners and in gospel friends and in people that you would put into our lives. Um, God, help us as we come at this understanding and idea of your provision of people from all kinds of different angles, introverts and extroverts and people who love to spend time and invest in other folks and people who dread and absolutely can't fathom the idea of spending lots of time with other people. Um, in all of that, Lord, we ask that your word would reorganize us, that our life would be convinced that you are good and that the gospel is true and therefore we should align our lives with it. Help us, we pray, submit to the Lordship of Jesus this morning in his name. Amen. I saw this week, uh, I subscribed to the Axios news email. I don't know what that says about me. You can make assumptions. Uh, but, but they emailed this week and, and published a story um, about an 85-year-old study that's been conducted by researchers at Harvard University. Over the course of multiple generations, these, this team of researchers has dealt with 700-plus people who would commit lots and lots of, of time to them and, and their study to try to figure out and determine what really drives happiness, health, and longevity. It's a pretty important study. What makes me happy? What makes me healthy? What helps me survive in happiness and health? And I was really captured by, by the beginning of it. And Axios is known for these, like, I think the reason that I subscribe, not because I lean one direction or the other, because they're short. I don't like to read very much. And so they come through and they're really brief. That's their thing, like brevity. And so I'm, I'm, I'm all in on brevity. But they said the big picture is that it's the close relationships with family and friends. Not wealth, exercise, or success at work that bring us the most joy and even lengthen our lives. Did you catch that? The big picture, it's close relationships with family and friends, not wealth and success at work or exercise. They continued, here's why it matters. Friends help us get through the tough times and sweeten the good times. 
Studies have shown friendship lengthens our lives, improves our performance at work, makes us better parents and broadens our minds. And then they cited the study then that also said, according to, a, I think it was a u.gov uh, survey, 27% of millennials said they don't have a close friend. 22% said they really don't have folks they would consider friends. This idea of a, a loneliness epidemic in front of us. Um, Axios's answer, I think, was pretty helpful. Jeffrey Hall of the University of Kansas, they quoted as saying, friendship is a huge investment. And then he gave some, some, some quantifiers for what that investment looks like. Friendship is a huge investment. It takes around 50 hours of time spent together to go from being acquainted to being casual friends, per his research. It takes about 90 hours, he says, to advance from casual pals to good friends. And it takes more than 200 hours together to become confidants. I thought that timetable was, it was fascinating. And I, I thought on my own experiences, and, and absolutely that's true. You learn people and you learn to trust them and you grow deeper in your relationship with the more time that you spend. But 50 hours to go from acquaintance to casual friend? Oh, okay. The, the moral of their story, right, was don't be lazy. Put in the work. Friendship is a huge investment and you, you need it. We know that that work is required of us sometimes. We've had those kind of relationships where we put in a lot of time. But I, I want you to think for just a second as we dig into this text. You also know relationships that didn't take that much time. Where you found that you had something in common with that person and the bond was just almost immediate, right? Where you hit it off over something that's really deeply meaningful to you. And you said, okay, I, if that's you too, then we can be fast friends. In his book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis says this. I think it's really insightful. He says, friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. Where we have that kind of kinship relationship that says you and me, we're the same. We're really alike. And so we're together. We look at this list of gospel partners and names that, that Paul gives us at the end of Colossians, it's a picture of that idea of, of folks who are in for the same thing with us. There are our friends, there are partners, there are members of the body of Christ who have this one major life redefining thing in common. We have Jesus. And so there are Jews and Gentiles in this list. There are prisoners and there are free people in this list. There are a wide variety of kinds of people listed in this closing section. But there's a common theme that runs through them all. John Stott says the essence of Christian friendship is companionship on the pilgrimage of faith. This last section of this letter from Paul shows us the value and it shows us the work of that kind of companionship in the pilgrimage of faith. What it, what it looks like to be a, a Christian gospel partner. And so as we dive in, I want you to see just before we do, because it is rather lengthy, there's a kind of three-part breakdown here. First in verses 7 through 9, Paul introduces the, the two guys that are going to deliver the letter. In verses 10 through 14, he sends greetings from the people that are with him. 
Verses 15 through 17, he sends his own greetings. And then I guess there's a fourth part in, in verse 18 as he signs off with his own hand. And as we read through in just a moment, I want you to ask yourself, what is unique about this? What's, what's unique about what's going on here? And I want you to see that what's unique is the, the communal aspect. This section is a healthy reminder that our life in Jesus is a team sport. It's not one that we were created to go at alone. I was having a conversation at one of two five-year-old birthday parties that I went to yesterday and had a conversation with another dad. And we were talking about the fruit of the Spirit because when you go to a Christian private school, you're... Birthday party conversations are about things like the fruit of the Spirit. And, and we were talking about how those fruits, those things that the Spirit works in us are interpersonal things. Joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. So, so many of that list from Galatians 5 are things that I can't do alone. That I'm not built to, to just have in me. In fact, I, I can pretend that I have those things and be really patient when I... Don't have other people in my life who annoy me, who disagree with me, who see things differently than I do. I can be really kind when everyone else in the world is kind to me. And yet the fruit of the Spirit is those characteristics of Jesus coming out when things are not easy, when things are difficult. So as we read through this, I want you to see this is, a, this is a team sport that's being described here. This is how the Apostle Paul viewed himself and the church. We're a people in need of, of gospel partners. And I want you to remember, this is a church that Paul's already said. He's, he's never visited all of these people. He's heard about what's going on there. He knows some people from the area, but he's never visited this church. And if you flip back just a couple of books to the longer letter of Ephesians, that mirrors a lot of the same themes. And you realize Paul spent two years in Ephesus, and it doesn't have a, a conclusion like this. He's not listing out this many names. He doesn't have anything like this. So he's even more dependent in this letter to these people that he's never visited on these gospel partners, people that are with him in ministry. So let's read together. Again, it's on page 10 of your worship guide or it's in your copy of the scriptures, Colossians chapter four, starting in verse seven. And I, of course, know exactly how to pronounce all these names, right? You just say them with confidence. So as I read through, if you want to pronounce it differently in your head, uh, that's not authoritative, right? You just say it how you want to say it. Verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. And he's introduced the two people delivering this letter. Verse 10, he starts to send greetings from those who are with him. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Verse 11, and Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. 
Verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Verse 15, he sends his own greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Verse 18, he concludes in his own hand. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Paul starts as he makes an introduction of the two guys, Tychicus and Onesimus. These are the guys that Paul knew and they're men that they likely knew. They they likely knew Tychicus, so Paul commends them. And he says of them both, right, they're faithful ministers, they're fellow servants. So of Onesimus, Paul adds, he's, he's one of you. He is a faithful and beloved brother that you know. And these are the men that Paul had entrusted with taking what he had just Dictated to be written out and signed with his own hand. These words that the Spirit of God had given him to say to the church at Colossae. And I want you just for a second to remember back or even to think with me for the first time if you're not familiar with the book. All that Paul had to say to them. Do you remember how he exalts Jesus and says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation for by him and through him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And this Jesus has given himself to redeem you and to put himself in your place to die in his body of flesh on the cross to set you holy and right with God. Don't turn to any other gospel. There was a danger that that these little um, deviations to the left hand or to the right, they would add things to faith in Jesus to find their assurance with God. And Paul says with the utmost urgency, don't do that. Don't turn away to any other thing. Stay true to this news of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And then he wraps all of this up and he hands it to verse 7, 8, 9, 10. Tell us he hands it to Tychicus and Onesimus and he sends them with this letter to the Colossian church so that the Colossian church would read it and know what the spirit of God was saying to them through the Apostle Paul. In the context of thinking about this partnership in the gospel that they have, I want you to realize that without the faithful service of Tychicus and Onesimus that Paul describes as faithful ministers, faithful servants, beloved brothers, without their service, the church doesn't have this letter. Without their service, the church lacks. Without their service, Paul lacks. He doesn't have them to send. Perhaps God would give them someone else. But God organized it in such a way that they would be there to strengthen Paul and encourage him and to strengthen the church. This is the beauty of community. It's the first point that I've got on your outline here. We have a necessity for gospel partners. We are are not capable of doing this alone. And so we see this first by example in imprisoned Paul being able to send the words of the Spirit of God to a church where he had never been. Why? Because he had partners in the gospel. These are partners in the gospel who are taking the words of an imprisoned man... To a place where they would be in danger of the same kind of fate. This was not an easy thing that God was sending them to do. Not an easy thing that they had been commissioned by Paul and by the church to do. And yet here, faithful brothers, Tychicus and Onesimus, 
that God organized to strengthen Paul and to strengthen the church. Paul from prison, and this is just brief side note, right? Prison is not three meals a day, clean cell, hour of rec time, right? Prison is I'm dependent on other people to bring me food and supplies and the things I need. Otherwise, I die in prison. Prison is, oh, the people who come and visit me are then marked as people who support me and like me, and they also risk imprisonment. There were no visiting hours. When you came to see people in prison, you aligned yourself with them and put yourself in danger of the same fate. And so what Paul is doing, what the New Testament is doing, is, is Paul is modeling what he's preaching here. We need Christian people. We need gospel partners because we were not made to go it alone. We were not made to deal with sin on our own. We were not made to be able to hide on our own. We, we were not made to live without community. The second of those girls' birthday parties that I went to, the conversation I had about Spirit of the Spirit was at the first one. The second one was beautiful. It was at uh, the, the little gym over here. No, no free shout outs. But you, you walk in and there's a, there's a room where everybody is gathered. And all of the other five-year-olds, when they see someone come in, they run out. They shout that person's name. Amaya, you're here. I'm so glad you're here. This is the best day ever. And I sat there as I watched and kid after kid come in. And they would rush the door and scream their name. And I turned to the other parents and went like, I want that kind of community. Like, I, I don't, there's, there's not really a room where I walk into at home or work or anywhere in my life where I walk in and people go, Jeremy. It's so good to see you. I'm so happy you're, you're here. And I want that. Not, don't, please don't do that. I'm not asking for that. That's not, a, that's not, that's not pastor aggressiveness, right? Passive aggressive. Hey, man, you need to be more excited. But we all want that, don't we? We want people to be really excited that we're here to, to be a, a part of what we are. We want to be received like that. We are wired like that. We're not wired to be alone. We see this connection in a passage. You may be familiar. If you're not, I'll read it. But Hebrews 10, 23, 24. We talk about 25 a lot, right? When it's, hey, you should come to church, right? Don't neglect the gathering. Absolutely. Don't, don't neglect the gathering. But I want you to see how we get there. Hebrews 10, 23, he says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So the opening of that section is hold fast to the gospel as, as things beat against you, as storms come, as life rains down terribleness on you. Hold fast to the confession of the hope of the gospel. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. These twin realities, I need to hold fast to the gospel. I need to keep walking in Jesus even when things are terrible. And the responsibility that I and others have, hey, okay, we know that we have that need. Stir each other up to keep going. Hold fast without wavering. Stir one another up. How will I hold fast? As I'm carried sometimes. As I'm helped by gospel partners, by people that Jesus has redeemed and put in my life to walk alongside me. And I need them. I can't go on without them. I think it was this past summer, I read a, a relatively helpful book in our journey with, with chronic pain. Um, Megan O'Rourke, it was, a, I think, a New York Times bestseller. She wrote Reimagining Chronic Illness. 
And she opens one of the chapters with a story that I, I, at first I really hated because it, it opened up by saying I was at dinner with a friend one night and we're having a pleasant conversation. And he looked at me and said, your pain is a burden to me. And I just bristled at that. Like, what, a, what a jerk. <laughs> pain is a burden to me. It's a burden to me, too. Uh, but he, she went on to say, he, he explained, when you tell me that something's wrong with you, you're asking something of me. You're telling me I've got to do something about it. And that, I, as I sat on and ruminated with, it's, it's a reality, right? In, in our life and the limitations that we have with chronic pain, I, I, have, I have bags that I have to carry. And so when someone asks... Hey, how are you? How's it going? And I go, oh, this is terrible. In just saying, I have a problem, I'm, I'm putting an expectation on you. Will, you. will you take some of these bags? Will you help me carry those things? And so as starkly as she wrote that, your pain is a burden to me, it, it didn't take but a few minutes for me to get to Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And to realize what a, what a crazy, backwards, unselfish, humble thing it is for the gospel to, to so shape us in which we're willing to go out to people who are suffering, hurting, walking through difficulties and saying, can I, can I help? Can I, can I carry that with you? Can I walk alongside of you? Y'all, that is, that is only... In the church, only shaped by the gospel, do we find people who are willing and, and, and eager to fulfill the law of Christ because Christ has so changed our hearts to say, not me, but, but you. Not, not putting my own interest above you, but putting the, others, putting the interest of others above my, my own. That is what the gospel does to us. And so in this reality that we need gospel partners, it's God giving us people who are so possessed by his spirit, having been given a new heart that says, I desire and delight to serve. I want to humble myself and, and walk alongside of you. Your pain, to go back to her illustration, your pain is a burden to me. How can I help? How can I walk alongside of you? And you can take that from chronic pain to any other area of life. But this picture, the, the conclusion of this letter, that we have these gospel partners who are walking through the ups and the downs in all of life with us because God has so possessed us in Jesus. Because we've seen the sacrifice of, of Christ. Though he possessed all the world, he set aside all that he had to take on flesh. And so we have then deity dwelling in fullness in, in, in the flesh of a baby. The humility of, of manger. Growing up in the likeness of men and made every way as we are, yet without sin. Walking in perfection of 30 plus years, we have this Jesus who took on the servant's towel and said, I will bear your burden. Come to me, you who are laboring and heavy laden. I will give you rest. And as we experience the, the rest that Jesus gives in the gospel, and then so we are shaped to be those who say, I know that you need help too. And so we come alongside one another. We're going to move through this second part pretty quickly. That's the necessity. Here's the work. What are these gospel partners doing in the conclusion of 
Colossians. The first thing is they're encouraging. Back to verse 8 again. He says, I have sent him, I've sent Tychicus to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Paul's aim in really all of this letter is to provoke the Colossians to love Jesus and obey Jesus. So he writes to them and then he sends Tychicus, he sends Onesimus, he sends these people that he trusts to encourage them with words and the report of the Spirit's work through the gospel. He sends these two guys that he describes as beloved brothers and faithful ministers because he knows they'll refresh the church with encouragement. On the face of it, I think it's helpful to spend just a second here with the recognition that this kind of encouragement is necessary. Christians in Colossae needed to be lifted up, not because of any particular challenging thing. Christians in Colossae needed encouragement because they were Christians in Colossae. We need encouragement because we're following Jesus in in Memphis. And that's not a statement on the, the, the badness of our surroundings. That's a statement on the difficulty of what it means for us to follow Jesus in a fallen world. They've faced that same reality, right? They're, they're, it's, it's not that we are somehow emotionless robots who, okay, I'm a Christ follower. I will do what Jesus says. Nothing around me will affect me. <laughs> no, we're, we're redeemed sinners made saints in the midst of a fallen and broken world. We're fallen creatures in this fallen world working out by faith the redemption that we have in Jesus. And it, life has some ups and, and, and a lot of downs. And so Paul in the Spirit knows to send these faithful servants to encourage the church, to encourage them with the truth of his letter and the news of the gospel work in their ministry. As we move through, again, we're going to go relatively quickly, but as we do, I want you to see that all of the things that we're going to list out here, see in the text, they come as a gift that we receive and they come as a job description for what we do. We receive and we give. As much as we all need to receive encouragement, we're also in the position to give. And so I think that's the helpful application point for us to make is to say, oh, who has God put in my sphere of influence as a gospel partner that needs consistent encouragement? To be reminded of what God has done in the gospel, what he is doing by the spirit in and through us and in his church. Who needs to hear that? And then how can I be the one to tell them? How can I be the the Tychicus, the Onesimus, who comes with the good news and comes alongside? If you're anything like me, I've got these really good intentions of staying in touch with people through the week and sending encouraging texts and emails and phone calls. And I really want to do that. And then I don't. And then I get busy and then I forget. And then I, so I will actually set calendar reminders, text this person, email this person, pray for this person, get in touch with this person. I'll put that on my to-do list because I know that I, I have to. And I think that's what we do as a part of our job description to be encouragers. We've got to set ourselves into a rhythm to focus on encouraging other people in this news of the gospel. As forgetful as we are, We know that others are the same. We know that they need the the refreshing that that we can bring. And the Lord has put us in their lives to to give them that kind of encouragement. Second, friends in the gospel, if you look down to verse 10 and verse 11. Friends in the gospel encourage us, they comfort us. Aristarchus, verse 10, my fellow prisoner greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. 
And Jesus, who is called Justice, this last sentence, he says, These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. These men of the circumcision is just another way for Paul to say Jewish Christians like Paul was a Jewish Christian. And Paul was called by his own testimony and by the Lord's doing to be the apostle to the Gentiles, those who were outside of the the Jewish heritage. And yet the apostle to the Gentiles benefited from his comrades of the circumcision, if you want to put it that way. They came and they comforted him. These men of the circumcision in the same background as him, they comforted him. How did they do that? First, they suffered alongside of him. Look at how he describes Aristarchus. He's in prison with me. He's here. He's my fellow prisoner. They continued on with him through trials. He says, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas is sending you greetings. He's continued with me in ministry through some ups and some downs. He's he's here. They, all of them, have ministered with him when others abandoned him and left him. And Paul says, they have been a comfort, a healing, a help to me. Paul says in writing a little bit later, I think in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he describes God as the source of all comfort when he says in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. If you want to look at that later, again, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. But Paul says, in all of our trials, God met us. And God's meeting us wasn't the end of the story. He met us as the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, so that he would make us, then, givers of comfort and givers of the same mercy. So what would possess Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, what would possess them to stick with Paul when others had deserted him? When it means that they could very well, like Aristarchus, be imprisoned alongside Paul and guilty by association. What possessed them to bring him comfort? God had so comforted them in the gospel, 2 Corinthians 1.3, that they know they had to to go and, and, and help their brother. They were glad to minister alongside of him. What drives us to enter into the suffering and difficulty of others? What is it that makes us want to move toward people with with lots of baggage, lots of problems, lots of trials? What is it that makes us want to move towards the suffering, to walk alongside of them in their need and to bring them comfort in their hurt and bear their burden? It's only the gospel. It's only God giving us the comfort of of life in Jesus that would motivate us and change our hearts in such a way that we're no longer selfish and consumed with our own desires, but we say, what does that person need? How can I make them to rejoice and be hoping confidently in Jesus? That's not something we naturally do. Naturally, we see someone who is walking through difficulty or having a problem when we know, okay, that's going to going to tax me, that's going to burden me, we move away from that. But as the gospel renews us, and as we're looking to Jesus, 
the one who took on flesh, the one who dwelt among us, the one who gave his life for us to redeem us, to make us new and to renew us, the one who gives us this life, not by works of righteousness, but by our sheer faith and looking to him, the one who provides for us. As we're changed by that Christ, we become those who go with the comfort of Christ to those who are hurting, who are struggling. Who are walking through difficulty. So we praise God for that fruit of the Spirit. And then we pray, Lord, help me. Help me be a gospel partner that brings comfort to those who are experiencing tragedy, difficulty, suffering. Look back in your own life to see where has God specifically worked out comfort for me with the gospel. And and how can I bring that, apply that to others? Third, moving on quickly, like I mentioned, verse 12, gospel friends pray for us. Here's Epaphras, who Paul describes as one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus. He greets you. Epaphras is always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. What's he praying? That you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in The the language that Paul uses of struggling in prayer here is the same language that he used in chapter 1, verse 29, of struggling to make the gospel known. He's agonizing to make Jesus known, and and Epaphras is agonizing to to pray and, and see these Colossian believers built up in the faith. It's the same pattern that Paul uses, too, as he detailed his own grateful prayers for them in chapter 1. And it reminds us, that one of the most important things we do for other people is pray for them. And that is sometimes can be a, a throwaway line. Someone texts, hey, I can't make it today. I'm not feeling well. Oh, we're praying for you. I sometimes want to text back, what? What do you pray? <laughs> Tell me specifically, are you really praying or are you just saying you're praying? Because I have been guilty of the same, right? Oh, we're, we're, we're praying for this. And whoops. I didn't actually. But to realize one of the the, the major ways that we have to be able to serve other gospel partners is that we have not just our own resources to share with them, to say, if you have a need, I want to help meet that need. We have the resources of heaven. We, We are praying, God, would you supply? Would you help? Would you provide? Would you heal? Would you sustain? Would you satisfy? We have all of heaven's resources that we are giving them. So as you think about community that way, our shared life, we are not just sharing who we are and what we have. We are sharing the resources of heaven. We're praying. Fourth, verse 17. Gospel friends challenge us when we need it. This might be my favorite of the text. Say to Archippus, if you look down in verse 17, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Now y'all remember, Paul wrote this to be read out loud to the whole gathering. And he uses a plural address here. You all, y'all say to Archippus, do what you've been called to do. So at the very end of the letter, before he takes it with his own name, Paul calls Archippus to the carpet, right? He says, you do what you've been told by God to do. Now, what is it he's called to do? We don't, we don't know for sure. Christian history, the scriptures don't, don't tell us. But it's important enough for him to do it that Paul says the whole church should chime in and encourage and direct and tell him 
See that you fulfill the ministry that you've been given. In, in the church, God gives us people who labor to know us and to love us. And sometimes that love comes as a reminder that we should do what we're supposed to do. That it's a challenge to take up a ministry that we know we're called to fulfill. That it's an encouragement to press on and to, to not give up, to keep going in the right direction. And, and that's something that absolutely could be abused because God's not telling me to do something that you ought to do, right? Say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. You don't listen to a pastor that says, I believe you have the ministry of giving six figures or serving in this way or doing this thing. And then bringing the authority of God to bear on that. No, 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 no. He says to the whole church, y'all remind Archippus. God has equipped him. God has given him this task. And he ought to do it. He ought to carry it out. See how good a community that is too that would say, Man, we're, we are encouraging you. We are pressing you to, to do this. We are here to challenge and to support and to walk alongside of you. Gospel friends challenge us when we need it. Last thing, gospel friends stand with us. I, Paul, verse 18 says, I write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Why does he want them to remember his chains? So that they would stand with him in support. Remember my suffering. Remember my imprisonment. Pray for me. Stand with me. I have to speculate for a second that in Paul's mind, writing this is, is his own receiving of support that says these saints are, are standing with me as I'm in prison. They're with me. They're receiving the Spirit's instruction through me. I want them to remember that all that I've said and do is done through this lens of suffering. All of my ministry to them is through this lens of sacrifice as I'm in prison. This, again, is a work that's only carried out by the, the gospel, right? God is sustaining Paul through this. God is bringing then these gospel partners around him to see his ministry sustained for his glory, to see the gospel spread. Paul is not writing about his own fame or importance. He says, I want you guys to worship Jesus and be found in him and have your joy in him and be confidently hoping in him. Therefore, I'm willing to sacrifice all and therefore I'm gladdened that you are standing with me in that to see that happen. In all of this, in the gospel, God gives us this gracious gift of Christian friends, Christian partners, fellow members of the body of Christ. And Paul's example here I think is remarkable. He's filled with joy on account of these partners. He's thankful. He sees the work that they're doing. And he rejoices, praises God for them, and praises God for the Colossians that he's never met, but is sending this instruction along to them. I think we can see that, that gospel partners who stand with us, who pray with us, who challenge us when we need them to challenge us, who encourage us, who comfort us, those, those people are a gift. A gift that we sometimes neglect or move away from or have a difficult time with because maybe they don't say a thing the way we want them to say a thing or they're not the, the wish dream of who we had in our mind that, that they would be. But a gift nonetheless that God gives us people that, that love us, believe the gospel with us, and walk alongside of us in, in partnership in the gospel ministry. And so we ought to praise God for that. 
And then avail ourselves and press ourselves into being these kind of partners that encourage and that comfort and that pray and that challenge and that stand alongside one another. Let's pray to that end. Father, we ask that you would cause us to see the provision that you have given us in the gospel. To see the, the friendship and family relationship that you have given us as you've adopted us. That you would cause us then to see the family that you've put us in with brothers and sisters. To see them as co-laborers and partners. Those that you would use to strengthen us and to comfort us and to sustain us. God, we pray that you would help us as we believe this news about Jesus. And then as we take this news of Christ's work to one another. Knowing that there are ups, there are downs. There are those in suffering and trial. There are those in, in relative ease. But help us, Lord, we pray, to bring this good news to bear. As we love and serve, as we humble ourselves and live in compassion and kindness, meekness, humility, patience, forbearance, love, and peace. God, would you give us this so that we would glorify your name and so that we would then uh, be inviting those who might be far from you into this kind of family that sacrifices and loves and, and serves. This kind of family where there's no celebrity but, but Christ, where there's no one exalted but, but Jesus and all of us enjoying him together. Would you help us in this, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.